Hey friends, this is Plain Spoken. I'm Jeffrey Rickman. I'm a local licensed pastor in Oklahoma, and I'm a old school Methodist. I'm a conservative. This channel is just to try and process information, what's going on in the Methodist world from a conservative perspective, uh, so that conservatives feel like they understand what's going on, but also so that liberals can maybe consider my voice and and uh, so that they can understand how some conservatives think through this stuff. Uh, Conservative's a word that works, traditionalist, orthodox, there are lots of different words we use, but we're the ones who generally believe uh, that the Bible is is right and means what it says, and that the old ways uh, shouldn't be thrown out in favor of new, but are, are generally trustworthy. Um, the series that uh, this participates in, I've been reporting on what's going on in different annual conferences around the United States. Uh, I understand that the United Methodist Church exists outside of the United uh, States, but the thing is... This is the only place where disaffiliations can happen. Paragraph 2553 does not apply outside of the continental United States. And so what's going on with disaffiliations? Um, what institutional forces are at uh, work in different places I've reported on? Kentucky, Great Plains, West Virginia, North Georgia. Uh, today's going to be on Florida. So um, I did a video last week where TJ helped me a lot, and uh, I got a few emails saying, hey, I really like your sidekick. I like him too. Uh, so anyway, he's going to help me out on this. He's going to present some basic facts about Florida Annual Conference, and then I'll see if I can flesh it out and, and uh, offer any helpful analysis for understanding what's going on there and any implications it has for uh, other parts of the connections. So TJ, what, what's there to know about Florida? So the majority of Florida is in the Florida Annual Conference. Um, part of the panhandle is part of the Alabama-West Florida um, Annual Conference. But there are eight districts um, within the conference. Uh, as of 2019, the membership was 209,328. Um, the last numbers that we've got from the, the UM Data website um, show that in 2021, they are down to 191,922 members. Um, the average attendance is uh, a startlingly different um, from their professing members. Um, in 2019, the average attendance was 106,375. Um, and then by 2021, after the, after the pandemic, um, they're down to 59,614 um, in average attendance. It's like a 40% drop. Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy to me. Um, as for the churches, in 2019, they had 612 churches. Um, in 2021, they had 589 is what the, uh, the, the data says. Um, Looks like about 17 churches so far have been allowed to disaffiliate. Um, it's not, that's as of um, last year, that's not including, no, that's 2021. That's not even including uh, 2022, I don't believe. Right. Um, their bishop uh, recently changed. The new bishop is Tom Berlin. Um, he was uh, elected last year. He replaced Bishop uh, Kenneth H. Carter Jr., who served uh, from 2012 to 2022. So he was there for 10 whole years. Um, bishop Berlin was ordained in 1987. Um, he most recently was the uh, pastor at Flores United Methodist Church, where he was the, the head pastor for 25 years. 
Um, he's got a bachelor's of science um, in business with a major in public administration and then a master of divinity from Chandler School of Theology at Emory University. So it's uh, all the facts that I've got on Florida, so I'll send it back over to you. Well, I'll, I'll show them the form that we've been working on. You can take it out if you don't want them to see it, but we've got a, a spreadsheet that we're trying to put together that helps us more easily understand what's going on in different conferences. Um, and so uh, you'll see that we start with the number of churches and attendance, so you'll see we've got that only filled out for Florida right now. Um, and some of those stats, we're trying to understand conference budgets better, and that's been uh, not my forte, but it, it looks like they have an annual expense uh, budget of uh, just shy of $60 million, and that it looks like they have assets of over 200, just shy of 250 million, and then it looks like their budget is 200. Yeah, and I don't think that number's right. 213 million. We've we've got. What's the name of the website we're getting these things from? Um, for that one, the the for the annual budgets um, and the expenses, that's umdata.org, um, which is uh, where we got most of the other numbers too. For uh, yeah. Uh, uh, we're we're going to do a better job at this. Yeah. We just needed to go ahead and film. But the, it also reports that they have $131 million in debt. Their uh, they're, they're, they're stuff is kind of convoluted. It's kind of hard to get all of the numbers off of their uh, – um, unless you're like a financial major. I'm sure yeah. it's really easy, but that's not that's not our forte. So Right. Yeah, I just think there are financial forces at play, so I think it's helpful to, to be able to – compare and contrast the financial situations of different annual conferences, but maybe I shouldn't have presented that because I have no conclusions to draw from that. So far as their um, theological identity, uh, it was said by one person I talked to that they think about 65% of the clergy are liberal and the remaining uh, uh, conservative, and then he said he suspected that flips when it comes to laity. Probably majority of laity are conservative, about 65%, and then the remaining bit liberal. Um, their bishop, Tom Berlin, seems to be uh, friendly, not hostile to conservatives that are wanting to depart. He scheduled three special called conferences this year outside of their June regular conference. These three are, are for managing disaffiliations. So uh, that's April 22nd, August 5th, December 2nd. And um, Jay Thorell is the main clergy I'm aware of that uh, belong to this annual conference. I don't know if he's still considered, I didn't ask him that whenever I interviewed him, but I had a great interview with uh, Jay Thorell. Um, you should look that up. Uh, I asked him a lot of other good questions, not his current membership uh, in the church. But um, he, uh, he, gave me some information for this. I talked to a couple other clergy that I don't think are, are big time, um, and I talked to some laity um, who were actually responsible for going for, through their church's disaffiliation process, so I'm going to speak a little bit to that. Um, I, I, I did get kind of an abbreviated account of uh, Florida Annual Conference, what it's like. Um, they said uh, there are over 500 churches from Key West to the Apalachicola River, I probably said that wrong, where uh, the time zone changes from eastern to central. There are eight districts. Um, they estimated that between 150 and 175 churches will end up disaffiliating. Um, 57 churches are being presented to the annual conference at this special called conference um, um, next Saturday. 
I think I miss I misspoke. I, uh, in the the number that have disaffiliated so far, as of uh, in twenty twenty one, they had three churches, and then in, in twenty twenty two, they had fourteen. There was no okay. special call to annual conference in twenty twenty two. So seventeen altogether, not including obviously the what did you say fifty seven that are um, this this year. Very good so far. Okay. Okay. Um. So I I started following Florida whenever I started hearing about Jay Thorell. And he was a DS at the time, and he was holding information sessions about the WCA and um, why conservatives were unhappy. And uh, it got hostile, and um, people were trying to come and disrupt the meetings, and he blocked them out of the meetings. And it was, it was a big mess. And so I started going, well, Florida, I mean, this is a place with alligators. This is a place with you know crazy stuff going on all the time. I've been disappointed. It actually doesn't seem that crazy in Florida. It seems kind of um, normal, but um, they started, they were the first to file suit against their annual conference under Bishop Carter. And uh, it was 106 or 107 churches filed through the National Center for Life and Liberty against not just the conference, but against the bishop and I, I think the conference trustees personally. And that case is still under litigation, but there are presently only 72 in the lawsuit. So I've, I've pulled up this article from December 5th, 2022, written by Bishop Ken Carter before he left. He's now up in uh, Western North Carolina, where uh, there also happens to have been an NCLL lawsuit against the conference that was dismissed, but then it's being content. We'll, we'll do a whole other thing on it. But um, anyway, he did the, it, it has um, grown up language in it, but it's kind of a, a, gl- I would call it a gloating letter, um, just saying, hey, uh, after several months, I'm going to f- focus down here, uh, past a number of those churches who originally filed suit have reconsidered. They no longer wish to be part of that lawsuit. Instead, they have notified us that they wish to pursue the previously established process of disaffiliation through paragraph 2553 of the Book of Discipline. So um, you can read the rest of that letter if you want to, but I took that to be kind of like a uh, a victorious, we beat them down. Um, I talked to one lady at a, a church that um, had dropped out of the dis- or, uh, the lawsuit, and she said their primary factor was um, the Judicial Council decision number 1449, which I've got up on the screen right now, and we'll provide links to all this stuff. But what that decision did was it said, even though paragraph 2548.2 has been in the Book of Discipline, has been used for numerous disaffiliations over the years. Now the presence of paragraph 2553 makes it so that 2548.2 cannot be used uh, for disaffiliation purposes anymore. It says that flat out uh, down here somewhere <laughs> that I did not highlight. Um, so anyway, that's that was the factor where they realized, okay, we are petitioning we are petitioning to use petitioning to use 2548.2. Ooh, excuse me. And uh, they're not going to let us do it, so that's the basis for the lawsuit. Once 2548.2 was out of the question, they just said, okay, well, we've got to use 2553 and get out of here while we still can because it expires at the end of 2023, and it takes a while to go through this process. So one of the main things that um, churches did not like about the disaffiliation process was that there was a really high demand on um, the insurance. So I, I never understood this. I'm just going to look at this WCA article, Moving the Needle, 
that was published several months ago. It says, in order to disaffiliate, they had to give up 26 years of insurance that local churches have paid for through the annual conference, leaving churches widely exposed with little to no options for coverage, and they must buy insurance coverage for Florida Conference to cover all their liability for previous three years. I don't do insurance. I'm very glad to have somebody else who does that. Um, the way that people in the know talked about it, they said this is impossible. This is not a thing that is, this kind of conf- uh, insurance are asking us to get is not even possible. It's not even available. So I, I asked the person who uh, was responsible for going through this process at one of these churches, and I said, okay, so did they loosen their grip on this? Did they uh, change the disaffiliation policy? And she said, um, the, the, the dis- they've been, there's what's in writing and then there's what they do. It, it, it's felt like they're making up the rules as they go along. Um, I said, well, uh, were you guys able to comply with it? She said, we are being presented at annual conference as having complied with all of the demands of the annual conference. So I don't know if that means, <laughs> I don't know what that means. What I, what I can say is that they are very happy with Craig Smeltzer, who is their conference treasurer. Uh, the, the one lady I talked to her uh, about it, she said, I don't know what he gets paid, but he should get paid more. Um, he's apparently been very easy to work with and very gracious. Coming back to Bishop Berlin, Bishop Berlin was um, known, of course, for speaking on the floor of General Conference 2019, saying that um, conservatives, the, the traditional plan, which had mandatory minimum sentencing for clergy stepping out of line with sexual ethics. Uh, he said that that it would be like a disease that overtakes and kills the denomination. And he, he used language that was explicitly used to draw the attention and anxiety of African delegates who were there who had lived through uh, an Ebola outbreak. And uh, conservatives cried foul on that language. And I think that they were right to cry foul on that language. Now, Bishop Berlin, uh, to his credit, he hasn't denied saying it. He hasn't refused to address concerns of him saying it. Um, I looked up this blog that uh, he wrote, and I think it was written prior to him becoming bishop, but it's called Response to a GMC Pastor Letter, where they were reporting that he had said these words, and he, he goes down the line and explains how it is he actually meant those words to be interpreted. He didn't say that he didn't mean it. He said... He, um, uh, well, I want to let him speak for himself. I've, I've reached out to him. I've sent him an email asking if he would be up for having a, a conversation with me that I, I could um, put out for everybody. But um, he, he thinks that the practice of minimum mandatory sentencing, removing the just resolution process, all that is against the Methodist DNA and, and would uh, ruin us, uh, so to speak. I think that I've uh, accurately portrayed his reasoning, uh, but if I ever get to talk to him, I'll, I'll let him portray himself. Um, so anyway, he, you know, I, I've asked a couple people, do you agree that uh, Bishop Berlin seems to have a better disposition towards conservatives than Bishop Carter did before he moved along? And um, people who speak publicly about it say that he does seem to be more amenable. Um, the fact that he has three conferences scheduled, that he doesn't seem to be doing any shenanigans to keep people inside, um, unless I've completely missed it. Uh, I mean, it indicates to me that, that Bishop Berlin is, is willing to let these congregations go, 
in the end, it'll be, well, heck, if there's over 500, 560 churches and about 100 to 125 are disaffiliating, then that means uh, a sixth to a fifth are going to be gone, and um, hopefully that's how it works out. Now, the the institutional things at play um, that might change that are that uh, as every class of conservative churches leaves, then that means that's that's how many less are going to be there to vote later. So in Oklahoma, say, we got a conservative class that was able to get out 30-some churches in October of last year, and they are not going to get to vote in the conference next Saturday, where my churches and several others are going to be presented for disaffiliation. And if we disaffiliate, then we won't be able to vote at the October or November special called conference that is in uh, Oklahoma. So, and as as antipathy increases towards disaffiliating churches, we've already seen Arkansas refuse to let three churches go. It's it's the fear of people like me that it's going to become commonplace for annual conferences just to say no, you can't go. Leave your assets, your buildings. You can start your own churches, but we're not going to let you disaffiliate anymore. Which means that there is a lot of litigation in the future. I'm not saying my churches well. I, I serve very small churches. But any large churches that want to go and are kept within are going to be litigating like Jonesboro First is in Arkansas. Uh, going back to this uh, uh, summary of the conference, um, Florida has a strong Hispanic and Haitian heritage. Historically, before the revolution in Cuba, the Florida conference included Cuba, and that ended with Fidel Castro coming to power. That said... There's a strong connection to the Methodist Church of Cuba. There's a smaller contingent of Korean churches in Florida. There are also African-American churches. Our Hispanic and Haitian friends tend to lean conservative. So that that's kind of interesting because on the conference website, they had a, an article talking about how black churches are committed to the institution. We've talked about the racial dynamics in the United Methodist Church. And uh, I, I did a piece um, kind of rebuking the Lewis Center study uh, about a month ago, and that one did pretty well where they implied that there's a racial element to disaffiliation. Um, there's there's also, uh, I, I the last thing I wanted to highlight was I got on the conference website and I looked for things that are emblematic of the ethos in, in Florida and just trying to figure out, okay, did I hear right that it's a majority, you know, that bis- the bishop is liberal, that the conference clergy are generally liberal, on the, the main page, I, I found um, a, a graphic showing the six values that they're really trying to employ as a conference. One of them is anti-racism, and I've talked a little bit about that. Anti-racism is not the same as the 1960s civil rights vision of a colorblind society. Rather, it's um, kind of a, a cultural Marxist view of um, race where individuals are primarily representatives of their race, and races are in competition against one another, and the role of institutional powers is to take power and authority and privilege away from those who have it and to give it to those who have been deemed underprivileged or uh, victims, and to to do this um, uh, bringing down of the haughty and lifting up of the lowly, and there's a lot of scripture about that. Uh, the problem is anytime we try this on this side of heaven, it, it goes very poorly. 
Um, so that that directly ties together with DEI and CRT. This is an article that I found on their website where uh, DEI, of course, stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. CRT, of course, is critical race theory. And both of these things have entered into American culture in a big way. And they're trying to ride the same train as the civil rights movement of the 1960s when they're actually doing the opposite. What they're doing, to the mind, my mind and the mind of lots of conservatives, is that they are uh, bringing about more race consciousness. They are re-racializing America after decades of uh, race becoming a, a smaller and smaller factor in American public life. So what this article concludes, and I, of course, have it very small writing, is that um, these things are, are good. Um, they, man, I wish I... Somewhere in here it says that it fits very well with biblical ethics as we understand it, and I just think that that shows... Okay, it was at its best, both DEI and CRT support the goals of the Christian discipleship for learning to tell our story more truthfully so that we may love ourselves and one another more deeply, heal from our collective trauma, and live together with all of our cultural differences as a strength. So I understand why people think this. The problem is we've already got a decade of DEI training in corporate settings under our belts. It has not been found to be effective whatsoever, and there has been some good evidence to show that it actually increases workplace hostility. Um, so I, I just think, I think America in general is wrong to be getting on this train, and I think the United Methodist Church in general is wrong uh, to be adopting this far left view of of race. I, I think we can conservatives like me. Um, or anybody who's been in the Republican Party for a long time would say all humans are equally made in God's image, and we need to participate in a, a future vision of people living alongside one another and race just not being um, a factor in how it is that people are treated. Um, a lot of left-leaning leadership is not on board with that. They want race to continue to be a factor that's considered in all of our relations, especially within the church, and I just think that's the wrong way to go. So anyway... Uh, we may or may not keep this section in there. What what lessons can be drawn from Florida? I'm not really sure. I think it's a lot of the same mess that's going on in other places. The institution is wanting to be gracious and let people go, but then there's a cost that comes with that. And, um, you know, there's unfortunately been bad behavior and misinformation on, I don't like when say people say on both sides, but um, it, it seems to be the case there that, that things have been tense and it's been hard to be friendly and so, uh, you know, hopefully things are, you know, how, how can we pray for Florida? Hopefully these special called conferences go well. The churches that want out can get through the disaffiliation process well. There isn't uh, any more shenanigans or um, bad feelings. I don't really know how to pray for the NCLL lawsuit. Um, there was a, an article written by the WCA. I think it was Jay Thorell who, who wrote it. Yeah. Uh, that was... Uh, a report on the most recent thing that happened in that case where a bunch of people from the churches that remained showed up and the judge seemed to be uh, behave well. They they seem to be contesting whether or not the, the annual conference can even hold uh, the trust clause for these churches. I'm not a legal expert. I don't pretend to understand, but I know that they're waiting for the judge to make a declaration on whether or not he will dismiss the suit that the NCLL has filed on their behalf, and uh, we haven't heard that yet. So Christians should always pray for peace. 
it, it really is a shame that litigation is is needed between fighting factions of the church. Um, of course, the institution would say, well, then don't file suit. But, um, you know, I, I, I go back and forth on this, so I can't pretend to be of pure mind on this. I just know that it really is a shame whenever we take one another to court. I think it's really a shame whenever uh, people in power just cannot stand to let those under their authority go. You know, I just, I can't imagine what the mind frame must be like to say, to be able to see these churches that that want to go. And they're saying, let us go. We'll pay you money to go. And you're saying, nope. I uh, just can't stand to have you go. And I think part of it's emotional. We've been doing uh, ministry together for some time. And I think some of it's material, practical. You know, in my own conference, the language has been, look, we have we have a mission that we're committed to, and this is a mission hub. And uh, we understand that the people there want to go, but uh, we need this hub. We're, we're really not, we're, we're going to fight you pretty hard if you want to go. So I I think um, I think that's a really sad place to be, and I, I I don't stand in any place of authority to do that. I stand in my authority in the local church, and if somebody wants to go, hey, they can go. <laughs> you know, there's no I can't stand between them and the door. I wouldn't even think to. But um, I guess when you have such power, then it becomes a really hard temptation to fight. So anyway, pray for those who are in authority in Florida and around the connection that they um, that they behave in ways that that they won't regret down the line and pray for these churches as they go through the process that they will be peace building, uh, peace loving churches, and um, that they'll accept peace when it comes. All right, that's Florida. TJ, anything else to be said about it? All right, well, we always appreciate you guys watching. If you want to send feedback, you can comment on the video directly. You can, if you want to privately correspond, we're at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. Uh, find us on YouTube or Facebook. That's where we are. We also put out an audio version of this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you know anybody that you think would benefit from this, go ahead and circulate it, send it to them. Uh, we hope to be a helpful voice in the discourse that's going on. We want to uh, lower the temperature in the room, help people behave like their best selves. So if you think I've been helpful, share it. All right. Thanks. See ya.